Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today, I'm joined by Fabio Araujo, who's the coordinator of the Direx project at the Central Bank of Brazil. We discussed the bank's initiative to create a CBDC and tokenization environment that aspires to rewire the plumbing of the Brazilian financial system. So we are here with Fabio Arujo from the Brazilian Central Bank. Fabio, it's great to have you here. Thank you, Aaron, for having me here. It's a pleasure to talk about tracks and to, to make this uh, project known for, for the broader audience that doesn't speak Portuguese and, and doesn't have the opportunity to read all the things that we're doing and to attend to other uh, events that we are we are trying to, to make sure that the information reaches the population. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. It's really a pleasure. Um, and uh, excited, really excited to talk about Drex here today and what you guys are doing. And uh, before we dive into that, we'd love for you to just give yourself a quick introduction, uh, kind of your background and your your work at the bank and your work on the on the Drex project now. Right. Well, my name is Fabio Aujo. I've been working at the Central Bank since 1998. I It's been 25 years, a, a lot of time already. And I, I worked at the implementation of the inflation targeting regime in Brazil in 1999. I was in the team that wrote the, the initial simulation program for forecasts of inflation that we use in the, the monetary policy conduct here in Brazil. I am expert, I'm an electrical engineer. That, that's why I was hired for that. And afterwards, I, I got a PhD in economics. I'm an expert in uh, monetary policy, and I've been working on several different subjects in the central bank, putting together uh, innovation, technology, and, and macroeconomics. And that's why I, I was selected by the governor to, to run this project. It's a project that has several different uh, fronts, we need to work on the regulatory front. We need to work on the technological front. We need to work on the economical economics front. Then, uh, someone that has this view and a large experience in the, at the central bank was seen by the government as the the person that would be adequate to to run this project. Yeah, absolutely. And anything of this scale and, and magnitude really requires such a multidisciplinary kind of expertise, right? So it's not just uh, software engineering. It's not just economics. It's not just regulation. It's kind of, you really need to kind of fuse all these things together. So somebody, somebody with your background who has all these, uh, th this particular skill set seems very appropriate for that. Let's talk a bit about, from a high level, what is Drex, right? And there's a lot of interest in this project from outside of Brazil, but uh, unfortunately, you talked about before, there's not a whole lot of like English language uh, content on, on really explaining what this is. You know, I really don't think that people fully grasp kind of like the, the scope of this, uh, of what you guys are trying to do. So would love for you to just give us uh, kind of a brain dump on what is Drex and what is it that you're trying to achieve here? To begin the discussion about Drex, uh, we, we need to, to understand uh, that Drex is a CBDC, but it's different from most CBDCs that are being discussed by other central banks around the globe. The, the main difference is that we think about Drex as not only uh, a digital currency, but a digital currency together with a platform. 
to the platform that can provide uh, the infrastructure for a tokenized economy. And you may find that weird. Why would the Central Bank of Brazil try to, to achieve that? Why uh, to, to put together infrastructure for a tokenized economy? We think that with the tools in, in this sort of platform, we can democratize the access to financial services. The final objective, what we are looking to achieve here is to, to democratize the access to financial services in Brazil. We have already a lot of engagement in the, in the digital uh, payments market that we achieved through PIX, but beyond payments, there are lots of other financial services that we need to, to provide in a better way, in a more accessible way to the Brazilian population. Uh, credit, investment opportunities, uh, uh, insurance, and all sorts of different aspects to help people to, to plan their financial lives. And I think that this technology has all the tools that are necessary to achieve that goal. Can you give us maybe just a bit, a bit of an overview on like on the the architecture of this? Like, how is this kind of how, how like once all the pieces are together here, like how will this actually function? Like, what are the pieces of the stack that you guys are are, are building right. right now? We are we are building a, a permission um, blockchain network uh, that uses uh, Ethereum virtual machine. This is uh, the technology for programming that we, we use in, in this platform. It's uh, a permission and only authorized entities are running right now. And we think that that must continue to be like that. That's not only a feature of the pilot that we have. We think that everybody running a node and deploying smart contracts in this into this platform needs to be uh, authorized entity by the central bank under the supervision of the central bank. That, that's very important for the integrity of the system. And in the system, we see a, a wholesale currency that would be issued by the central bank that would be used to, to settle transactions among the node operators, these authorized entities. And uh, the public, the, the final consumer use would access the the services of this platform via this, these entities that are running the, the nodes that are, are managing the, the wallets. They are the ones running the code behind the scene and the people would just make as they do today. They, they go to the, the bank app and there are some transactions that they, they would like to, to make, but some of these transactions would need to rely on another technology and then the bank is going to access that technology on the behalf of the, the person. And then you, you would have access to features there as composability, reusability of code, and you, you could access services that are provided by uh, other parties in the same environment. It opens up the, the possibilities for, for the fintechs to, to create new products and, and that's quite important for us because we, we want to democratize the access and competition is something very important for that. And we think that in, into this environment, we can bring more firms, more uh, fintechs, new ideas to provide services for, for the population. And 
apart from these two sorts of uh, currencies, the, the wholesale currency and the retail currency that is issued by, by the banks or non-bank PSPs, we would have uh, the, the assets in a tokenized form to be traded in this, in this platform. That would be a multi-asset platform. That, that's what we are implementing. And we have already implemented in the pilot and we need to, to grow this and to bring more businesses into this platform before opening for the public. And then, no, that's a great overview. Um, and a, a number of points that I want to dive into. But I think, first of all, let's talk about the pilot. So it's been maybe six, eight months or so since you've kicked off the pilot. And, uh, you know, I think there's some some maybe like just growing pains of just getting people onto the network and, and just getting nodes spun up and all these kind of the beans and rice uh, tasks, I guess. Uh, but maybe talk a bit about how the pilot is going, uh, what you're asking the participants to do, um, generally like what the response has been, what you've learned so far, any any other kind of reflections on that? Right. Well, I, I think that the pilot was great because we, we managed to have a huge market engagement. We we wanted to, to have uh, 10 groups. We ended up uh, selecting 16 groups to take part in the, in the pilot. That uh, stresses our, our uh, resources, but it was uh, a huge demand by the market. Then that, that, that was a good thing because some other countries have problems because the market doesn't see the utility of the, the ecosystem yet then they don't want to participate. Here in Brazil, it was the opposite. The market uh, wants to engage and there was uh, lots of proponents that we, could, we couldn't make them to, to enter in the pilot. That's, that was a pity for us, but yeah, we, we couldn't get everybody on board. But that's, that's very good. The, these 16 groups actually correspond, correspond to more than 70 companies. And we have a, a wide profile of companies, small, medium, large banks. We have uh, uh, payment service providers of all sizes. We have credit unions, we have fintechs, we have crypto native companies working in the pilot. And we, we managed to, to bring everybody together. We, we've learned some uh, specifics regarding the the Brazilian infrastructure for the financial market and how to uh, how difficult it may be to to engage lots of people in a in a wide uh, band that we need for for a blockchain operation because we have uh, a private network in the Brazilian financial sector and it's not a virtual private network it's it's in fact a, a private network and it doesn't follow the evolutions of the, the the internet in general then the the broadband is not as broad therefore we need to we needed to to make arrangements to increase the bands that the banks were using to access so this this emulations and the simulations would not um, bring problems for for the financial market that that was something interesting for us and we we are writing the, the initial family of smart contracts 
these smart contracts rely only on pseudonymity uh, for privacy. That's not what we want to, to make at the end of the pilot, but this first generation is already done. The, the participants have tested, they, they put together the, the nodes, they're operating the nodes, and they are running these smart contracts already. And in December, we started to, to run uh, privacy solutions based on zero knowledge proof um, algorithms. And we have started some of the, the tests already. And if, I, if I, I have to select one point where it's been harder to, to push forward the, the pilot, it's on this private solution. We knew that, and, and that's why we designed this, this pilot to, to focus on, on private solution, because when you look into the, the public space, the, the public blockchains, the, the privacy, the, the ZK solutions, they are mostly focused on increasing the scalability of the, the processes. They are not that concerned about privacy and we have a very stringent law for data privacy of individuals here in Brazil, uh, pretty much uh, inspired by the, the European law, the GDPR. And we, we think that the pseudonymity that's what generally used in, in public spaces is not enough. We need to, to improve that using other algorithms as uh, ZKP. And the problem is that they were not designed exactly for the sort of problems that we are trying to solve right now in Drax. And then we need to tweak the algorithm and they, they are quite complicated, but we are working together with the market and with uh, some cryptographers that are helping us to, to develop the solutions. It, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard work, but we, we are making some progresses. And I think that by, by May, uh, when we, we plan to finish this stage, we are going to have some interesting results to, to show to the society. Great, great. And, and just could you help us maybe understand a bit more of like the exact problems uh, that you need these privacy tools to solve? Apart from the, the data, the individuals, their protection, protection law that we have here in Brazil, there is the bank secrecy here. Then when we put these two together, on one hand, we need to protect the identity of the, the individual. And for most individuals, pseudonymity is, is enough because I can have some sort of uh, random wallets that I can assign to an individual and then it's, it gets hard to to track the operations if you, we are talking just about small operations. But once you, you, you consider the Bank Secrecy Act, there, there is another layer of concern because uh, a large firm, they, if they are going to, to run a, a large payment or they are buying uh, a participation in another firm, that's going to be very easy to track. In the, in the environment. And that's gonna happen for large companies, for banks. Then we cannot assure that uh, all the transactions of the population and all the transactions of the, the banks and the large firms are gonna be protected. We, we need to find a way 
to make sure that both the data of the population is protected. That would be easy for most of the population, unless someone wants to target specifically one agent. We know that that's, that's possible, even if you don't, don't make a lot of large uh, transactions. It's, it's possible, but it's harder. But if you have larger transactions, it's easier to, to identify the individual. And, and that's what we're trying to avoid for individuals, for companies, and for banks. Got it. Got it. And, and it's, it's sort of, uh, it's almost like a Sudoku puzzle, right? Where you can, you can kind of reverse engineer yeah. just by, based on the pattern, you can kind of reverse engineer like, okay, like by a process of elimination almost, you can say like, okay, I think this, this company X made this transaction and you can, you can. So that's what, that's the situation you're trying to avoid where some savvy person exactly. could come in and basically reverse engineer, uh, who's making these pseudonymous transactions. So you need like a higher level of privacy. But the the existing zk solutions on the market now are aren't really focused on like this specific level of privacy is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's that's the problem. And we know that there are companies in the market right now that are uh, specialized in figuring out who's trading what right in the blockchains. Then most of the transactions are mapped. And uh, if if you are a large player in the market, these companies know who you are, whatever you try to do there, then that may happen in, in our environment and we wouldn't want that to happen. That would be against the Brazilian law. Got it, got it. Yeah, so you are bound, it's important to emphasize that you are, this isn't This isn't just sort of a, a design you know, question, it's really like a legal question, like you ha you're you are bound by, by legal parameters to be able to find a solution to this essentially. Right. Um, and, um, so that's helpful. I, I, if we have time, I'd like to return to this question, but I want to I want to move on to some other things here, um, and would love to to just going. I'd love to get like kind of like a history lesson from you on how this whole Drex idea emerged, because I know that you know the, your staff at the bank has been studying blockchain tech for a long time. You've you've been in a, doing other financial innovation projects like PIX and Open Finance, and obviously Roberto Campos Neto, the, the the president of the bank, is very kind of innovation minded and and has been driving a lot of this. So I, I would love to get, you know, an insight into the sausage making of how, like how this whole thing came together and how did you decide on this novel model that is uh, quite a bit different from what we've seen other countries and, uh, you know, researchers proposing. Uh, I think, you know, everybody in the world is, or every central bank around the world is researching this to some degree, but what you guys have come up with seems quite unique and novel. So we'd just love to get some some insight into how this all came together. Sure. Well, yeah, we we at the Central Bank of Brazil are always looking into the technologies that can be applied to, to the financial market. And some can be directly applied, some can't be directly applied. And since the beginning, we have some groups, small groups or individuals that are interested in the technology and, and track the, the evolution internally at the central bank. But those were uh, more localized uh, initiatives just to, to evaluate what was going on. In 2016, when there was this huge uh, wave of ICOs and 2016 and 2017, then it, it became uh, an important aspect for, for the Brazilian economy. Lots of people were interested in investing in, in crypto assets. 
then we we made a communicate to the population saying that although this has the name coin or currency it's not regulated by the Central Bank of Brazil or by any other central bank, then it's it's a new sort of asset and you need to, to be aware of what is that if you want to invest. There, there is nothing wrong in investing in a, a different sort of uh, asset, but you need to be aware of what you're dealing with. And we, we made this communicate to make that clear. And we run some tests internally to try to, to, to build some... Uh, systems based on the blockchain technology. That was seven, during 2017, 2018. And for all these problems that we are facing now and other problems that the technology had uh, back then, we, we decided that the, the technology was not mature enough for, for us to engage in a project. But then in 2019, there was this global trigger, uh, Facebook, today Meta, they, they expressed the, the willingness to make a global stable coin and they had 3.2 billion uh, active users then. Then that, that became a problem that was not just a niche matter as it was before, it became a, a systematic problem and therefore it, it called the attention of the central banks around the globe. We were in, in the middle of the development of Pix here in Brazil. And then we postponed to, to start our studies to August 2020. We, we started a working group on that. And we issued Pix in November 2020. And then when we finished the, the working group, the, the first uh, the first impressions that we had was, um, well, PIX is a success already. Then we don't need the technology for payments. If, if anything, this technology is quite good for programming, then maybe we could uh, think about providing a platform for, for the, the entrepreneurs, for the stakeholders, for the, the society to, to bring new projects, new new business case to this platform. But then we, we have this, this problems in, in, in this problem in our hand, right? Uh, we provide a platform for new businesses to be developed on top of that. Then it's, it's not the business of the central bank to, to create these new products. Our, our uh, responsibility in this view is to, to provide the platform. But if the market doesn't want to provide new services, then the platform is not uh, useful for, for the population. And that's why in 2021, we decided to, to uh, open up it for, for the, the market to investigate what the market was willing to, to make out of this, this technology. And then along 2021, we have uh, some um, meetings, some uh, seminars. There is a series of webinars in the uh, YouTube channel of the Central Bank. And we, we managed to, to see that the society was interested in using the technology and uh, the, the Central Bank uh, workers were willing to 
to investigate that further. We have people that are masters in that, that subject or are PhDs in that, in that subject in different areas in IT, in regulation, in economics. And we, we have this, this broad uh, capacity built on the central bank to, to deal with these problems. Then we decided to, to call the market in 2022 to, to inquire the market, what do you want to make out of this technology? And we received 47 uh, projects and selected nine of them. And the, the reports are at the, the page of the central bank. That they're, they're quite interesting. We have some DeFi protocols, one by Aave, one by Visa. We have some DVP protocols focusing on different kinds of assets, real-world assets, financial assets, and crypto assets. And we had all, all sorts of different solutions, PVP, IoT, uh, uh, programmable money solutions. We, we've learned a lot in that. And we think that we help the, the participants also to, to gain a lot of knowledge about the, the possibilities of this market. And, but the problem that we, we noticed was the, the privacy problem, that what, each one of the applications would run fine in separate, but after this initial stage, we would want to bring all these applications together so they could interact. Then information would start to leak from one application to the other and information would be revealed that we, we wouldn't need to because of the, the Brazilian legal constraints that we have. Then we needed to stop that, put it into the back burner for a while and go back to, to the basics to, to provide an infrastructure and to test the privacy. I think that gives a broad view of how we we got here in the current state yeah, of the project. Yeah, that's super helpful. A super helpful context, and and it, I think there's a few important points in there about you know you're really trying to be sensitive to what the market would be interested in, right? You're not just building something for the sake of building it, but like we want to build something that people are going to actually use. And Pix was obviously quite successful; people like that. Uh, but you, you know, you've set the bar pretty high for yourself with picks. I must say, it's gonna be tough to sort of replicate yeah. that that success. But uh, but building things that and really engaging the market in the process uh, and engaging the private sector has really seems like it's 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 paid a lot of dividends in that sense. Um, and going back to kind of the the sandbox that you were mentioning there, like the lift challenge, uh, which was kind of a sandbox for incubating some different business ideas uh, that could come out of this. And, and I, th I think, you know, I speak for myself personally and, and some other folks that I've talked to just uh, in, in the ecosystem lately where there's there's kind of this confusion around like what is Drex going to like actually look like in practice, right? Like we have kind of this like lofty vision of tokenizing the, you know, the financial system and what is this pragmatically going to look like, right? Uh, like how is this going to actually, what are some of the actual business cases that could come out of this? How will this actually benefit uh, kind of the end users and, and the, the Brazilian financial system uh, more broadly? So hoping you could kind of talk a bit about that. Like, are there particular, you know, maybe uh, projects from that lift challenge, that sandbox that, that you, you found particularly like inspiring, but maybe just talk a bit about how you see this all kind of trickling down to like, what, what are, what are the actual business cases here that we're, we're talking about that this could be, we could be seeing here unleashed. Right. 
Well, before talking about the use case, I would like to, to talk about how we, we think that it should look like for, for the population. Uh, I think that uh, down the line in, in five years or 10 years, uh, I, I would like drugs to be transparent for the population. It's just the financial sector providing services. That, that's what we, we would like to have. We want to incorporate new business models, new technology, but this needs to become transparent for, for the population if it's to be used by the population. I, I make a, a comparison that I think it's, it's useful. When you look into the DeFi environment to see, oh, that, that's very interesting, that's very flexible, I can do whatever I would like to do in this space. And I make the analogy of the DeFi environment with Linux. That's very flexible. If you know what we're, what we're doing, you can do whatever you want to do and you can extract the entire uh, potential of the machine that you're using. But most of the people don't use Linux. Why is that? Because it's, it's not very intuitive. It, it's not transparent for for most of the population. Then most of the population use Windows, Android, or iOS that make things transparent. Maybe you can get all the, the power of the technology, but you can access the, the power of the technology and make use of those services. That's what we are trying to achieve with, with Drex, is to, to make it simple enough so uh, most of the Brazilian population can access this sort of technology and uh, the services that this technology can provide. Then having said that, we, we think that there are several different and interesting use cases. The, the lift use cases were very interesting. The programmable money that was uh, brought by VERT, it's, it's very interesting. It was a use case where you, you could track the usage of uh, subsidized funds for rural activity. And we know that all governments have uh, subsidized lines or uh, social transfer for the population that you need to verify specific aspects for, for the expenditure. For example, you can have a education voucher and then you need to, to know if that money was uh, used to pay a, a school or uh, something that is necessary for, for the schooling of children and so on and so forth. You have lots of uh, possibilities for, for that sort of application. And Caixa here in Brazil is thinking about how to, to do that. Apart from that, we, we have the visa case that was a uh, uh, tokenization of CPR. It's uh, a crop uh, title. We, we tokenize the crop pretty much that, that in, in, in a, a very simple way to say, we, we, we tokenize crops for small farmers, then you have access to, to funding that they wouldn't have before. And it makes easy for, for the farmers to, to sell these titles and to access money with lower interest rate to, to run their businesses. And any sort of receivable can, can be uh, used in this in this ecosystem. If I'm a small uh, company and I have a, a cash flow to receive, I, I can use this receivable to to trade that to to finance what I'm I'm trying to do today. Right then, it 
opens up the the capital market for small companies, and and that's a a, a huge application in, in Brazil. There is a sort of fund that is being created. That's FGIC. It's a fund that is being created to finance the productive sector. Usually, a large company has receivables from companies that they hire for for parts of the supply chain, and they they have these receivables on their hands, and then they finance that. But you can tokenize that today. For for tokenize that, you you would need to to have an operation that goes in excess of ten million dollars as we estimate and some companies here in Brazil estimate. And with this technology, we have uh, listened from some market participants that you could go as down as uh, operations of $1 million or uh, half a million dollars. Then you you decrease the size of the companies that have access to, to that sort of market. And, and that's uh, a grow in market on the side of the, the small companies, small and medium companies. But uh, at the hands of the population, I think that one thing is, is very important is the, the tokenization of the of bonds, of public bonds, treasury bonds. Because today it's very hard for the the Brazilian population, the general Brazilian population, to to acquire and to buy treasury bonds. Uh, I have tried to to help some people that come to, oh, I would like to invest in any or some other things. What do you think would be a, a good way to start? And treasury bonds is, is always a, a good point to start. But even with the initiative of the Brazilian treasury to make it easier for the population to access, it's still hard for most of the Brazilian population. On the other hand, we see today that banks and, and non-bank PSPs are making uh, crypto available at uh, the touch of three clicks, right? It's very easy today to buy crypto here in Brazil. And why can't we use the technology to make treasury bonds as accessible to the population as crypto is? And if we do that, then I can build myself uh, my, my savings account with treasury bonds in there. And if these treasury bonds are registered in the same uh, environment as uh, loans and other sorts of uh, assets in the market, I can use those as collateral and then my credit risk is not uh, important anymore, right? Because the, the credit risk that is important is the treasury credit risk. Then the population can hold their, their the balances in their savings account, but use those as collateral for the transactions for a, a, a loan that they need to, to run for uh, some specific thing with a very low interest rate. And once you have these basic assets in the market, I'm sure that the market's going to start building things on top of that. And you can diversify the provision and the access to, to services for the population and for small companies. What I find super interesting about this is it's like you're taking all of these pieces, a lot of these pieces that we've seen kind of out in the wild in crypto and in DeFi, right? So this idea of like, okay, you have an asset and you, you have a tokenized asset and you put it in like a maker product, like a, like a maker vault and you can take out a loan against it. Right. And all these kind of things that were 
you know, kind of experiments, fun experiments, I guess, in, in kind of crypto DeFi land. And, um, you know, especially now that it looks like, you know, maybe the, the future of, of, I guess we'll call it like unregulated decentralized finance may be somewhat iffy right now. Uh, but like all of these, these, con these smart contracts, and these applications exist and they can be repurposed into an environment like the one that you're building because it's EVM compatible built on Hyperledger Bazoo. And um, so it's interesting to see just like, these are all concepts that we've kind of seen floating around in, in crypto land as, as kind of these kind of weird ideas uh, that, that maybe just by themselves, they don't really make a whole lot of sense. So they don't really have a whole lot of broad applicability, but when you combine it into an environment that is being uh, kind of uh, an environment that's being hosted by the central bank uh, of, a, of a country and you have uh, kind of permissioned network of, of financial services providers that are basically allowed to, to, to run and utilize all these applications and, 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 and receive the benefits, it becomes a lot more interesting. Um, so I, I want to just kind of touch on this point of, of like why you, you decided to opt for this, this EVM compatibility and this in level of interoperability and, uh, you know, to what extent is, 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 have you been kind of taking some of these ideas you've maybe seen out in the wild, like, a like an Ave or a maker or, or some of these other, uh, tokenization ideas that have been floating around. Uh, so we'd love to kind of just get like, you know, how, how have you been sort of in, inspired and in taken some of these ideas that have been, have been shopped around the last few years and, and really combined it into this, uh, this broader thing? Yeah. Back in 2021, when we, we figured that, that for Brazil, that's not for payments. We, we need to think about programmability. And there was this coincidence, right? At the beginning of 2021, when we got to this conclusion, the DeFi market was booming. And we looked into what, what was being done in, in the market. And then we thought, oh, there, there is a lot of flexibility here. And we can write all sorts of different contracts that could be useful in the in the regulated space. And there is the paper of Professor Fabian Schar. I always cite him. And when we saw his proposal uh, of how to make use of EVM technology or the programmability technology in blockchains to build a financial sector, we pretty much immediately identified that with the with the ideas that we are, were putting together for open finance here in Brazil, because that sort of interoperability, the, compo the composability of services is what we want to achieve in the open finance environment. We would like to, to make uh, the service provided by the small fintechs accessible to all the population to make it uh, more uh, uh, more competitive space for for the, the Brazilian society. And when we saw that those ideas of creating protocols and, and services that could be aggregated for generating a, a, a final contract, and those ideas were reflected on the, the protocols that you, you mentioned, Maker, uh, Downmaker, and uh, Ave, and Uniswap, and lots of the, the, the solutions there. We, with, we uh, understood that that was uh, a way that we could proceed into, into this uh, exploration of the, the possibilities. And when I, I first said that, some of the other central banks said that you want the, the DeFi environment inside the central bank. 
then I, I always said, it's not that we want what's happening in the DeFi environment uh, inside of the, the central bank. What we want is to bring the tools, to bring the knowledge and to bring the expertise so we can uh, make use of what this, whatever innovation is, is happening there. And then for doing that, the, most of the, the innovation is occurring in EVM, uh, Ethereum virtual machines. And in, in a way that we could make use of this knowledge and to adapt businesses that already exist into this platform, we, we decided that uh, an EVM uh, permission network would be uh, necessary for, for the test that we, we need to do. And, but that doesn't bring us straight to Hyperledger Bezel because there are other solutions that uh, fulfill these this requirements. But Hyperledger Bezel, apart from being EVM compatible, it's uh, an open source uh, code. It, it's uh, maintained by a large community worldwide. There, there are lots of uh, innovations and lots of uh, service providers, companies that can cooperate with the central banking in providing services and providing knowledge in this in this space. Then that's why we we picked Hyperledger Biz. It's a, a mature platform. There are global applications in production stage already. And I know that we don't have a standard right now. That would be the best if we had a, a standard for blockchain already defined. But uh, the second best is to, to go with what seems to be becoming the standard. And EVM looks like that and has all the flexibility and a lot of uh, uh, job done already that has been tested and can be transpose into this new environment. That's why we we picked Hyperledger Bezel. Got it, got it. No, you, you totally forecasted my, my next question, which is to be why you picked Hyperledger Bezu. Oh. But uh, <laughs> read my mind there. But but no, that definitely makes sense. It does see that a lot of the energy is revolving around EVM compatible chains and, and these things have just been around the longest. They've got in the most battle tested, I suppose you'd say. So it does make sense from that. Um, and then, but then, you know, keeping the open source mindset, I think is really, is, is, is really important and probably, probably not the easiest decision for you guys to make because if it's open source, it means you can't like fully control it. Right. But there's, uh, but there's obviously gonna be more, more innovation and more, more benefits that come from something like that. Um, I wanted to switch gears slightly here. Um, we've only got a few minutes left, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, particularly with regards to how does, how do you see, uh, Drex, if it, if it plans, if it, it pans out as you envision it panning out. How does this impact the role of traditional banks in the in the, in the Brazilian financial system? Like like your 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 you know your Itaus, your Bradescos. How does this ultimately change their role? How does this change their relationship with with their customers? Uh, I know that you know the banks would be basically issuing their own you know they'd be they'd be tokenizing customer deposits and issuing stablecoin you know tokenized uh, reals to their customers. Um, like how, how, how does, how does this, this all shake up kind of the, the legacy banking environment here? Right. I think that, uh, when you want to consider what drags can make, uh, with the, the traditional financial sector, it, it's very similar to what open finance can make with the, the traditional financial sector. It, it's, it's 
breaking information silence and it's making the information available for for the the participants in the market that that's a natural thing for blockchain and if you if you if we manage to go all the way into the implementation of tracks the market is going to change in nature because you're, you're going to have a, a divide in the market separating the parts of uh, providing the services and uh, <clears throat> connecting with consumers because you you can be uh, highly uh, have a high expertise in providing some sort of service I, I can create a fintech that is very expert in, in providing one sort of financial product, but I need to, to find a way to sell that, right? I need to connect with the consumer. If I cannot connect to the consumer, it doesn't matter if I, I'm the best in what I'm doing. On, on the other hand, if I connect to the consumer, but I don't have a, a good product, they can uh, look for another one, right? And what happens today is that everything is vertically connected inside the bank. And with this platform that we are making, this doesn't need to be connected inside the bank any longer because you can have part of the process to be uh, made by a fintech and then you compose that with another service uh, by another fintech or another service by the bank and put this together to, to deliver the, the, fi the final contract for, for the consumer. Then you separate the, the market in two layers. One layer is providing the service and one layer is knowing the client, right? It's, it's like uh, an analogy would be Netflix. They know me and they uh, make the, the, the suggestions of movies or series that I, I would like to, to enjoy. The same thing, if I know the consumer, I can track the information, I, I can know what they, they want to buy, and I can help them to, to program their financial lives and to, to pick the right services that they need to, to achieve those goals. I, I think that there are these two roles to be played in the market. I'm an expert and I make the, the financial product in the best way possible, and I'm expert in people and I put together the financial products, the best financial products to, to attend the, the needs of the population. And, and I think that AI is going to be very important in that. Then mm -hmm. some banks have lots of money to invest on, on that, but they have a, a, very, uh, a very rigid structure. Sometimes it's, it's hard to, to incorporate this new technology and sometimes fintechs that don't have that much money have the flexibility to incorporate. It, it's going to be a rearrangement in the market some uh, participants are better positioned for some services, some others are better positioned for other services, but I, at the end of the day, I think that the, the financial market is going to grow and the access for the population is going to be much broader and much simpler than what we have today. No, it's very interesting. And that's a great, that's a great point to end on actually, because I think it gives us a good sort of clear vision for like, okay, where, what's the end goal here? Um, and, uh, but Fabio, thanks so much for your time here today. Um, maybe just, I'll give you kind of the last word, any final thoughts you want to communicate, any 
of just kind of maybe predictions over like, what are, what are you hoping to achieve over the next 12 months? What do you, what do you, I mean, if we're having this conversation again in a year, where do you hope we're going to be? Right. Well, in a, in a year, I hope that we have already a nice solution, a, a suitable solution for, for the privacy problem and that we have already uh, been able to, to test and to mature some use cases. So we are in the position to open up the market for testing with the population because right now we are testing only with companies and th that's very important to, to put the the products together so we can bring the population, the, the society to try out those those products. But we we have still a lot to learn, even after maturing the, the basic protocols, we will need to, to test it for a while with the population to, to get a grip where of how the population is gonna use this tool. These tools are, are very important. There are several different problems that we, we didn't manage to discuss here as suitability. And then we need to figure that out to, to make sure that we have a safe space for, for the population to access those services. And we are trying to, to move as fast as possible. And as a final message, I, I would like just to stress that even though it looks like as a, a, a tech entrepreneurship, it, it, it's not. It's a democratization uh, action that we are taking here in the, the Central Bank of Brazil. Since I, I got into the Central Bank, we're 25 years ago. We are trying to to expand the access to to financial services, and we've been working on building this with the, the evolution of the market along the the last years. And we think that this too is going to help us to advance a lot on those objectives. Thank you very much, Aaron. Great, yeah, well, thank you so much, Fabio. Uh, I'll include a link to your your LinkedIn profile uh, in the notes here if folks wanna, wanna get in touch or reach out with the suggestions or, or on uh, how, how they might be able to get involved. Uh, but really appreciate your time here today and uh, best of luck in the, on the project over the coming year. Thank you.